Hello, and welcome to Galley Stories, stories of the Bering Sea and beyond, hosted by Mark Kaler. My name is Penka Jane, podcast deckhand and longtime listener. We'd thank you to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review. Here's today's catch. Hello, and welcome to another installment of Galley Stories, stories of the Bering Sea and beyond. I am your host, Mark Kaler. Today we have Taylor Evenson with us today. How are you, Taylor? I'm great. Like I said, it's interesting um, to actually look at your face after having so many conversations. Yeah, we actually, uh, I guess our introduction has been just as a, a fisherman versus a fleet manager, at least here recently. And yeah, a little bit. I think it's a little more than that, a little more intrigue going around. Yeah. A more, a little more respect for shared experience. Sure, sure. Um, so let's start right into it. Um, how did your family, because I know that you're like a fourth or fifth generation fisherman now, right? Or what? No, no, Second? Only, only third, just third? everyone's old. You know, <laughs> okay. been so doing it for how did that time. start on, in, you know, three generations ago? Yeah, um, my grandfather really was looking for adventure and he was a uh, college professor he had a couple master's degrees um, in Iowa and my uh, he kept always talked about coming to Alaska my grandmother said well let's just go and so they went they moved up to Alaska looking for adventure and by a lot of strange circumstances he found himself um, fishing drift gillnet in Cook Inlet um, he, he and a friend neither of which I think had any experience fishing at all um ran a boat out in cook inlet um they took their their proceeds um my grandfather took his proceeds particularly from that fishing season and bought a boat and decided that they were going to live in alaska and i think that was 1956 um and we've been fishing there ever since my dad was i think six years old the first time he went on the boat he's 72 now he has 66 years in, in, in cook inlet my grandparents were pillars of that community. When they first came there, it was um, it was almost almost a native village, you know, and and there's a lot of incredible people from that area, both uh, native and otherwise, have great familial connections, and all of it is um, associated with fishing. Really, I mean, fishing is the backbone and the culture of of that region, and uh, it's really important, really important culturally, and to all the people and. My personal experience is, you know, I was out on the boat um, when I was three months old. You know, my parents both really respected fishing for the values that it that instilled and, and um, the ability to teach people how to work, to interact in the real world. You know, my, my dad hated homesteading, which my grandparents did, but still he comes back and fishes every year, which I don't know if, it, if that's probably more rugged than than homesteading is maybe not as long a period of time as long maintained but why why would he have hated uh, homesteading because homesteading was this incredibly secluded experience and just hard work constantly and you know he didn't have kids to play with he's always talking about that so I mean it was this rugged outside experience and my my grandfather was living his dream you know having horses and building cabins and snowshoeing and hunting my dad was just kind of a little boy by himself doing it and and uh it made him the person he is you know incredible architect um, naval architect painter all these things all these incredible gifts from the isolation but you know it was it, it was difficult in a lot of ways i think you know the way fishing is but that those difficult experiences um some of the lowest experiences i think after you come out of them are the things you really hang your hat on the things that define you as a person and show the kind of value you have and 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 really develop you and i think that's why fishing is so important to so many families out there because it it really instills in us generationally the values that we want our families to have you know when i think about what i want my eventual kids to have like those values are instilled by fishing by interacting the real world by having a multitude of skills by um, testing yourself against the elements testing yourself against yourself you know having that kind of connection um, to the environment because a great fisherman I think is almost has a sixth sense you know some type of intuition connection to the natural world that can't be described um, maybe by science or, or anyone but the really good ones they just have a feel you know, how many times I've 
sitting with my dad. I just watched him look out over the water a couple miles away, and he's legally blind. <clears throat> yeah, he's legally blind, 240-20 vision or something like that. What are you looking at? You can't even see, old man. And he'd look over there and, and just be like, I think we should pick this set up. And, you know, you run over there, cross a couple rips, be all by yourself, not a boat around, just a field of jumpers. We had a couple experiences like that. And just to this day, I, I don't know how he would know there were fish there, and he can't tell me how he knew. But, you know, those are some of the some of the best experiences. I mean, I can... I can think about one of those, you know, we, we, the exact situation I, I described it, and it was the very end of the day, there's probably two and a half hours left in the fishing period, and he runs for about 30 minutes, it looks like there's nothing, there's not a boat around, the tide's pushing all the other, um, the rest of the fleet completely away from us, you know, we cross the bar, the South Calgon bar, um, totally dictates the tidal currents there, and, uh, so that's pushing the boats apart, <clears throat> and uh, there's just flat, calm, glassy water. The sun's speckling, perfect day. I think I was like 13 years old, and I, I hated fishing growing up. And uh, he laid this big, big hook in this in the set, um, just jumpers everywhere, just running up on run and laid this big hook around him, almost like he was saning him, and. Uh, not a single fish hit the gear, and I just remember, I go, what the heck, Dad, what's going on? I was freaking out, you know, and I was really excited about fishing, which seemed, you know, weird almost, right, and and he just smiled at me and just swung this big hook in the gear, which is, you know, you tie tie your line off, your, your lead line off to the uh, tow line off to the side of the boat and just tow the hook, and it almost drags the net over the fish, and it was just like dynamite in the water, man. You know, just, just, just absolute explosion up and down the net. And I was dancing on the deck, you know, and I remember my dad looked at me and he said, well, I think we might make a fisherman out of you yet. You know, that's one of those moments. And how old were you then? You said? I, I don't know. I was 13, something like that, yeah. 14. So do you, do you see yourself having that same intuition or growing into it at least? Yeah, I mean, I, I try to leave the space open to have it. I think that's the only way to be, really be great at it. Yeah, uh, you've... <coughs> Actually, you've got a good friend that wrote a poem about you and and your friend. In fact, she, a couple episodes ago, the Paul Drennan 49, uh, uh, Georgia Heavily sent in her poem. And uh, you guys are roommates. Yeah, yeah. So, so small world. Yeah. So we've drug her in to actually read the poem that she wrote about you and Chris Braun. Yeah, I think, I think really the poem's about all of us. All three of us. Okay. And about... I mean, maybe we should let her, let you think her she, tell us. You think she'll it. read it to us? Yeah, well, I know she'll read it to what us. What do you think, Georgie? She, she's a performer, both on the boat and off, so we'll see. <laughs> I'd love to read it. Okay. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I wrote this for, for Taylor and Chris, um, and it's called Brothers in Salmon. The start of their journey, captains boundless at sea, surrounded, antiquated, weathered men of the fleet. Tales shared and repented, these legends did charge, ripping salmon from nets, tides, swells, rolling large. Fishing boats, many decades, ever slowing with time, as their odyssey fades, to preserve and enshrine deep ancestral roots of historical kind. A mission falls on the young, ancient souls recognize that a torch must be passed, Gnarled hand to one soft, with vitality, energy, zest and zeal which were sought. Within modern assembly of the youth of the fleet stands a girl with her father, timeless oceans concrete. Frightened one ever trying, womanhood at the cusp, climbing ladders courageous, seeking honor amongst, outnumbered by those, testosterone enterprise giving soul in her spirit, fight to not tyrannize. She composes within, ink and paper she sees, though it little and feeble, yields to immensity, colossal depth of salt waters, augment time, clockwork tides. She discovers her brothers to confess and confide, and yet to learn what she calls them, self-named fellow young few, Fasten links and camaraderie, this, their Cook Inlet crew. 
Her brothers in salmon, sharing reflective light from father's antecedent, generations past sight. One boat named for a mother, a grandmother before, in homage to the women and the duty they wore. Therefore kindness and friendship teach not with reprimand. The girl grows with each salmon that she holds in her hands, that will callous and gnarl as the veteran others, just as hands of grown men, those of her salmon brothers. A family that you choose, gillnet society, and she will keep them in heart and in humanity. With confidence in a vessel, she stands upon with her father that could someday be hers, passed to his salmon daughter, to continue a living that some curse under breath, but it is primal and ancient. It is life, it is death. She will stand with her brothers and the life that they choose, her ink and her paper and her words to infuse with the substance of friendship upon waters demanding of an eternal epoch and the phantoms commanding the ghosts of their fathers that will whisper and warn what is yet left to come of the oath they had sworn. But young sisters and brothers within salmon and salt will not waver in choice, their own words to impart on future salmon siblings that will take on their torch, whose own hands will gnarl, their own souls left to scorch. And she will forgive her fathers that surrender this choice, her own nautical sentence, and consequently her voice. And if she falls in her passage, jumping bow to slick dock, inexperienced hands, bowlin square clove hitch knots, brothers pick her back up with hands yet left to age, and they will place her on deck on her diamond plate stage. But in turn, so will she, if their own hands start shaking from boyhood adolescence, old timers in the making. So to brothers in salmon, I am eternally grateful for you carry me forward when my feet are unable. Wow. Uh, yeah, a little hair standing up in my arm. Uh, you look like you get a little tear in your eye there, Taylor. Yeah, I do. And so, uh, <clears throat> Georgie, uh, just to ask you a couple questions before we get back to Taylor. Uh, it sounds like, at least what I'm picking up on it, is that you wrote this as a three-way thing. It's kind of like your relationship with Taylor and Chris. Am I understanding that correctly? Yeah, yeah. All of us, all of our, you know... The, the relationship we've formed as, as friends and, and as brothers and a sister, you know, on the water, fishing for salmon. Yeah. I mean, I, I met Taylor first. I started helping him. I was his deckhand a couple years ago. And then I met Chris. And then together, you know, we all work together. We all go through it together. Mm -hmm. Taylor, what are your thoughts? I mean, it, yeah, it just it really reminds me of, of, meeting Georgie and, and how that went down, which I think is like an incredible story. And, and then how she got, I mean, I wouldn't say injured on the boat, but we were way, you know, we were 20 hours away from Kenai and, um, we're just realizing that an old injury that she had was like coming back on a long, on kind of a long gillnet fishing trip. Um, you know, and it was just getting really, really, really bad. And we had an, uh, an incredible bonding experience through, you know, the hell that she went through, which is one of the worst things that I've ever seen. Um, and uh, just kind of the journey to get her home and make sure that she was safe and that everything was okay. What was that journey? Yeah, we were um, late in the season, you know, just because we love fishing and and um, love the experience of fishing something different. We were fishing the west side of the inlet. Not many boats do it. And so, you know, it's a fairly long trip in the inlet. You go from, from Kenai, the way we did it was you go from Kenai across to the far west side of the inlet, across Calgon Island, 
um, when we were fishing um, kind of the, the Upper West Side um, around around the Forelands. And we fished, you know, I think a day or two there. I, f I forget what the openers were. And then um, we took about a, I don't know, 50-mile trip south to Chinitna Bay and then fished in there. And you get to fish sometimes uh, two days in or, or two days and then a day off, then two days. And I don't remember what period it was in there, but we were probably gone for four or five days. And Georgie seemed fine, but, you know, when we were fishing up north on the on the west side for a while, she just she was always so active, and the effort was always there a hundred percent. And uh, she her hip just started bothering her, and and you could just see the deterioration and um, the discomfort. And she just would not she would not give up. She just kept working and working and working. And I was just like this isn't right. And so I tried to get her to sit down. She's like was really emotional about it because she felt like she wasn't giving 100% and she wasn't doing what she could. But I mean, she was given so much more than that, given what she was going through. And it just got worse. And by the time we got down to Chinitna Bay, you know, we were fishing and, you know, you know, there was some, you know, some fishing. Um, you know, <laughs> uh, and, and so we kept trying to, we kept trying to be at it. And uh, she uh, just got worse and worse. And then she felt incredible, incredibly bad because she couldn't help me. And I was out there kind of fishing by myself, which, which could be done in that, in that fisher in that area, the way it's set up. And um, it just, it just became worse and worse to a point we delivered one night and, you know, we had other friends down there and we were kind of getting back and forth between boats. We kind of tie up together and that's, that's our friend, you know, Gavin and Chris and all these different people that facilitate, you know, what we're doing down there. And, uh, at one point she was just kind of like destroyed, like screaming. And we we're just like, it was in the middle of the night and the weather was supposed to be really bad. Um, and we we're just like, you know, we got to go. There wasn't a choice. You know, I think it was supposed to <clears throat> supposed to blow 30 or something. I think the forecast for 9 to 12 foot seas, which in the inlet, um, the way waves stack and the way it's so much worse around rips, you know, in a 34 foot boat, you know, it's not it's not ideal. You know, we got a real good boat You know, that my dad, my dad designed. And like she said in the poem, was named after my grandma and built for my grandfather. And, and Chris's boat was down there too, the Jack and Marie, which is named after his mom. That's, you'll hear that in the poem. But um, so we just had to go. We just decided we were going to go. And so we ran. I ran all night. We ran against the tide. You know, you, you just things you don't do. Right? We ran against the tide. We ran, you know, in, you know, 10 foot breakers, um, which, you know, as you go across the inlet with all the different um, rips and tides, like it changes which way those waves are hitting you. And, you know, it was just kind of a, it was just a crappy freaking trip. And the whole time she's just in miserable pain. We didn't have any, you know, painkillers or anything really to give her besides maybe, I don't even know if, did you have some Tylenol or something? I don't even remember. I think, I think that was it. Yeah. yeah it was really just gritting my teeth. Yeah. And she was, uh, she was, you know, such a trooper and apologizing the whole time. She was really worried about me and the fishing and all this. And, and she was just like screaming. I, I mean, the only thing I could compare it to was I had a friend in college that, um, passed like prostate stones or you know something like that. i think that's what they're passing stones. kidney stones kidney stones exactly and he was just oh, rolling man. like I hope you don't get a pro prostate stone <laughs> oh he was rolling like a crocodile man in the er and uh that's that's the kind of uh that's the kind of pain she was in for i don't know what the run was it was should be we you know the boat we got a decently fast boat it should have been you know an eight hour run i think running against the tide and with the weather it might have been you know 16 hours or something through all that crap through the middle of the night um, couldn't see anything. We always make the joke that you know, luckily, when it gets dark outside, all the all the trees and logs sink to the bottom of the ocean, so you don't have to worry about those. Right. <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, it was just it was just a long, painful process home, and she was you know screaming in pain, and actually what she she had was a separation of cartilage in your hip. Was that? Right, yeah, Georgia? tore. It was torn cartilage. Yeah, um, from years and years ago. And yeah, it just got worse. And it got. I mean, it's supposed. It's supposed to be terrible. And, and uh, man, you know, at times I had, I tried to. You know, we we're out of cell phone range, trying to call her family, trying to call her brother. You know, all these different things, and getting back there and getting in the bunk. And she. I mean, she was like crying and screaming. I remember going down there, like holding her hand at times, because it was just miserable. You know, and then 
finally making it back and then you know kind of half carrying her up the dock and getting getting her in the rig and taking her back to her mom's house and finally going they got her to the hospital the next day but I mean it was just like yeah so that was that was a bonding experience we were both you know there for each other and 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 was there anybody else on the boat no, just us two. Yeah, Georgie really showed her grit, you know, the entire time of grit that, I mean, I think she shows all the time, both both in fishing and both in the advocacy that she constantly does for fishing, which has kind of, like, been her mission since that moment. And, you know, when you talk about the support that she gives me and Chris, and, and really the whole fleet is, is in advocating so much for, you know, this lifestyle and this... She'll, she'll, she'll have her own podcast here. So, rightfully but, so, man. Rightfully so. But but let's talk about, um, so starting really, really young, when did you first start running the boat? Because it sounds like you started running a boat pretty early. Well, I mean, I running my own boat wasn't until I was 22, but which, I, like, my family's almost old. My dad had his own boat at 16, but that's because I hated fishing. Um, well, I, I shouldn't say I hated it, but it was just... There were certain things about it that I didn't, you know, didn't like. It took me away. Every summer I was gone fishing. There weren't any other kids around, and it was depressing. It was just a depressed time in the fishery. Nobody made any money. You just feel it. You know, just it, a lot of it didn't feel good, even though there was all this incredible stuff of what I was learning, the time I spent with my father, all that. But yeah, I got pictures of me, you know, driving the boat when I was four years old or younger, you know. Mm-hmm. All, all that that was so 22 is when you first took over yeah. now your dad retired at that time because you got your dad's boat right? no my dad still fishes that's where the great joys is coming out in the morning and hearing his voice on the radio yeah, I have my grandfather's boat oh okay yeah. so my dad my dad is I mean his boats are the best boats period the end and he's uh, designed a couple boats in the inlet I mean for gill netters and uh, I have one of those boats that was that was uh, designed for my for my grandfather who um, actually is the same dimensions as me. He's a six-four kind of long, thin guy, and this boat was designed and built in '84, and it was named after my grandma. The What's Nidri, the name of the boat? The Nidri. And um, and so it's kind of interesting. I joke that like my dad designed a boat a boat for his unborn son, you know, and so I got to, I bought it from my uncle who fished it for ten years after my grandfather retired at seventy-two or something like that, and. Uh, yeah, it's been a and it's been a how blessing. How old's your dad now? My dad's seventy two. And still going. Yeah, I mean, I can't imagine the idea of my dad not being out there fishing is like uh, can't even can't even think of it. My mom used to joke that if there's one fish coming back to Kenai, he would be the one guy out there trying to catch it. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about the Kenai fishery. Yeah. Um, so we've had a few people on from Bristol Bay, and it's kind of a cowboy fishery. Mm-hmm. It's open, and everybody goes, and it's gung ho, and Mm-hmm. 24 hour openings, three day openings, five day openings. Right. What are you dealing with in Kenai as far as the openings go? Yeah, um, it really depends. Really. It really depends, and it's changed a lot. the The classic structure, um, you know, 20, 30 years ago was that they they fished two days wide open a week. You know, and, and if they, you know there was a big push coming and they needed to stop them, they'd fish them more. But it was this kind of they called it a gentleman's fisher, and it was quite relaxed in a lot of ways and you know there was times they fish a lot more than that but the notion was that they got this wide open thing they go out there and put the whack on the fish real hard and then you know that would that would kind of break them up and then they'd school back up and they'd come back two three days later and whack them again and that was when they were managing the fishery for commercial fishing Mm -hmm. and uh recently because they try to keep us in corridors they try to keep us tight to the beach and they try to keep us in zones away from other stocks of fish you know we've had years where we fish 23 straight days and we've had years where we've sat on the beach the entire time but it's um it hasn't it hasn't been a particularly productive fishery because of the politics of it all to be perfectly honest mm-hmm. you know and it's been it's a rough time i mean i think you know highliners make a decent living you know it's been good to me but i think that the average guy it's really not, not when you much say going. decent living is it my understanding of it is the highliners are making a livable wage, but still have to work full time jobs. That's right. I mean, yeah, that's absolutely. not. It's not like the the wide open fisheries where you can come back with four hundred thousand pounds of fish. No, not at all. 
yeah, it's it's totally it's totally been whittled down to where it's you have to have another job. You're just scratching at it. Yeah, you know, and we have some big days every once in a while, but you know, it it seems almost like that's not wanted by the powers that be. Yeah, so. and I and I see you as a little more of a cowboy at it, and I only say that because of the investment that you've made to actually expand your fishing operation and move into the bay. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about that a little bit. What what part do you want to talk well, about? What, what's making you decide to do it? What because you really really go, dove in? Yeah, it's go yeah, it's go west, young man. I mean that's what it is. I mean it's been the story of America, and unfortunately the way that fisheries have been managed and treated all across the world, honestly, the Western United States, um, and now in Alaska is like if you want opportunity, you got to go west, and there's only one opportunity left on this planet to go west, and that's Bristol Bay. That's a really, really sad thing to say, but that's the reality. And I love fishing, and, and I, I won't ever stop fishing in the inlet, I don't think. But if you're trying to make a living out of if you're trying to, you know, the analogy is a basketball. If you want to play in the best game, you want to go to the NBA, you got to go west. And that didn't used to be the case. Cook Inlet used to be the big show. Mm-hmm. It was for certain periods of time. And you got if you want to be in the big show, you got to go west, and I hope that big show lasts. Well, it's not as simple as going west. I mean, you're not taking your boat over and, no. and fishing. You, you've had to make some serious capital investments. And let's talk about what that looks like. Yeah. Because you can, this isn't a fishery where you can show up with your boat and your, your gear and start fishing. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, I could have chopped the nose off my dad's, my family boat and brought it over there, but I probably would have got hung. So, you know, we had to, you know, Chris and I, that we've talked about a couple times, Chris and I have, kind of you know got a strategy where he and I are going to go in together and we buying a boat and a permit gear you know the whole accoutrement to go fishing um, in Bristol Bay and we're going to go out there and fish and we'll take turns of who goes well maybe not take turns but I'll, I'll go back to the inlet and fish um, as the inlet starts because the timings are a little different but this is what we have to do we feel like to be able to make a living at it and um and still be connected to Cook Inlet because his he has a connection there too that's important to him, uh, and I have a really intense connection. And Georgie has an incredibly intense connection to Cook Inlet from a cultural, familial standpoint, from who we are. It's who we are. Yeah, you you uh, you're, you're a young man, and you seem to have uh, a wisdom about the inlet or a, some deep rooted connection that's just not going to let you go. Yeah. Well. Um, I've, I've toiled back and forth with that because what's best for me is to leave it. But, you know, that's, um, I mean, best for me financially um, is 100%. I've always known that. I could have went to the Bay a long time ago, but I just couldn't imagine, I could not imagine waking up in the morning not hearing my dad's voice on the radio. That's what makes it so fun. You know, he's um, 45 years older than me. We never got to, you know, play basketball together, or, you know, all these things we love, but we can fish together and we're good at it and our group is good at it and those guys all older guys who've been doing it forever just amazing amazing people and we feel like we feel like the best team out there we feel like we get to be the LA Lakers you know every every season we get to go out there and look over the over the inland and say this is the court that will be played on for this period of time and that's mm-hmm. that's something special it's worth it's worth more than the money mm-hmm. so i don't want to lose that and that's why i had never gone to the bay before but you know, the West point. young man. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, where do you see yourself in five years? Uh, I mean, I think that story takes me in a lot of different directions. I'm, I'm not sure it's all fishing. I mean, I hope that, I hope that I still have a situation like Chris and I have worked out where we get to spend time, you know, in both in both fisheries in both areas because. You know, we're tied to the land or the ocean. I mean, whatever you want to call it, the body of water, the environment. You know, there's something, you know, spiritual about it. For me, at least. I won't talk for Chris. I mean, he may, he'll probably have his moment. But that's my connection to um, that's my connection to God in a lot of ways, to be perfectly honest. Mm-hmm. Is fish, is salmon, is cook inlet, the water, the wind. Yeah, it's important. Do you remember the first time you were scared? No, I... Uh, and I'm sure, about I remember lots of times I was scared on the water. Yeah, I remember lots of times. I remember when I was, uh, <laughs> I remember when I was, I don't know, I might have been three, four years old, and I thought if my dad turned the boat too hard, it'd roll over. That's a that's a kind of a funny story running out of the mouth of the Kenai. You know, and there's like 200 boats all running out, 
and uh, I was like, oh, Dad, don't turn too quick, and he's like, look at him, he's like, okay, and so he just, you know, going full bore, he just whipped it, you know, hard, hard to pour, and spun a big circle, and I'm like teetering in my chair, and the whole fleet's watching, and everybody knows my dad's boat, because it's beautiful, and he's just been a highliner forever, so everyone's looking at his boat like, you know, what is Thor doing, and he's just like, runs this big circle, and I'm tilted the whole time, and he's like, kind of looked over at me like, would that, that kind of bury any type of concerns for you about that, and I was like, okay, yeah, well, I think we're good. <laughs> what about the skipper? Yeah, I've got some, yeah, definitely. I think um, tons of scary times. The one that really sticks out was when my mom and my sister were fishing on the boat with me, um, which was also, it's a family thing, man, it was, and it was an incredible experience to have them. But they were, and an incredible, um, I have to have incredible respect for the fact that they're in my hands, you know, my mom and my sister. And uh, there was a, a really big, it was supposed to be a big day, and we were going out, and... Uh, it was just gnarly, you know, 12 footers. Um, and and the, like I said, the way waves stack so close in the inlet, 12 footer is like, gets pretty gnarly, pretty steep. And uh, we're running down south and I was probably an hour ahead of my dad because he's got a, he's got a nice engine in his boat. And uh, he turned around and went back to the river. I've never seen, my dad always fished. I don't remember on a big day him ever turning around, but it was gnarly enough where he said, heck, I don't want to deal with this. And I was like, whoa that's a little weird and so we pounded back ended up about 95% of the fleet didn't fish and there was all hell broke loose that, that fishing game would fish us on a day that was that unbelievably rough but um yeah I said some prayers that day we uh, we I went down the east side to try to avoid the weather kind of cut over a little bit had a set for you know 300 fish maybe in a couple hours and I was, you know, hanging on the gear. It's, you know, it's gusting 70 probably, you know, something like that. You know, probably a steady 40 and gusting maybe 70. And um, good family friend, Bobby Tepp, um, who has uh, the larger version of my boat. My dad designed his boat and built it, the RD-73, who he's just, he might be the best fisherman doing it right now. He might be at, at the top. He's incredible. And... Um, I was going to run home. I was going to go east, and the weather was actually worse going into the east. And, and uh, he said, man, I," and he's a subtle dude. And he was just like, man, there's some fish over here. I'm like, really, Bob? And he's, he said, yeah, we're, we're catching some fish. You might want to try it. And my mom's down in the bunk praying, you know, because we're pounding it. And the way the, like I keep saying, the way the rips stack, you can actually get in a situation where waves will hit you from two or three different angles. And, you know, these, they had built to this point where they were like, at times there were 16 footers. I blasted a bunch of gear off the top. You know, my radio went, my radio antenna got blasted down, you know, a bunch of other rigging on, on the top of my boat from waves coming over it. And, uh, <clears throat> and we were just like, oh, well, I better, I better, I got to do it, you know, right here. And luckily as we went um, west, strangely, the weather laid down and that, that has to do with currents and the rips and which water's coming from where. And we got over there and, and laid out and we had a huge set and um, it was blowing so hard I was trying to keep it east and west so that we could actually fish northbound fish. And uh, so you got to hang, hang your line off the side of your boat, right, rather than running it straight back and forth through the fair leads. And um, at one point we had to, I had to try to get the line back, right, so you got to tow around and put a lot of force on the line and try to get the, the the stern of the boat back to the line so you can get it back in the fair leads and pick the gear and we blasted the line we blasted the line and um the the net was pretty loaded and it's blowing it was gusting 70 it was it was gnarly we we're right up against this rip and we had to go recover the gear and you know a tin boat with that kind of wind it just pushes you everywhere and so we had to try to run up on the gear and I just remember it was one of the times when I was just, and my mom's a pro, man. She's fished for like 30 years. She fished the bay in the inlet, you know, but she's like, I mean, she must have been 60 then, you know? And uh, we're running up on the gear, and she just, she re reached out the buoy hook, and it was just perfect. Like, if you don't know, know it, you might not appreciate it, but she was able just to nail the line perfectly. If she lost that buoy hook, like, we would not have recovered that net. But she just nailed it perfectly. We timed it perfectly. Got the boat around. We recovered it. We picked that whole set, you know. And we came back in and you know had you know a, a, an incredible day out of what looked like a whole bunch of a whole bunch of chaos. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've never we never had a boat almost sink or anything like that. You keep 
it keeps coming back to family with you. And uh, so do you see, obviously at some point in your future, you're going to have children. Uh, do you do you wish this for them? Oh, 100%. Yeah, I, and, and I've listened to your other podcasts and some people say no. And, and I, I think people should understand that like gill netters or, or salmon fishermen, you know, we're fishermen, but I, you know, I used to manage a fleet of, of large catcher processor and crab boats and so like those guys are those guys are the real fishermen you know they do it year round they do it in the winter months as far as salmon you know fishing your summer maybe you know a saner might do four months at it man that's an incredible experience an incredible way to live your life you know to be able to go out and be on the water be connected to all this you know make make a couple bucks it really makes you appreciate every comfort of the real world. You get to come back to the real world and, you know, spend a lot of your time in that, pursue other interests, you know, do other important things. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I couldn't imagine. My dad forced me to fish, and, you know, I didn't, it means I didn't get to play football or baseball how I wanted to and when I wanted to, and, and those were important to me, uh, sports were, and, and, man, I'm so glad he didn't let me do that I'm so glad I fished every summer of my life so yeah you say that one of the best things you like about it is hearing your dad's voice on the radio maybe someday that's your son I sure hope so or daughter yeah I sure hope so yeah and I yeah no reason not to I, women can do this people I've I've had more women deck hand deck hands on my boat by far than men same with my dad and um the idea that women are bad luck on a boat is so um, absurd. I, I don't think I've heard that in years. Good. Uh, some some women that I've known over the years are, are better than, I mean, or uh, as good as, if not better than, yeah. some of the men on deck. Oh, yeah. Um, there are There's a couple tenders out there, actually, that run all-female crews, mm-hmm. and they are the bitchin' crews. I believe you know? that. Um and I don't mean like bitching, like yelling at you. Well, they might yell at you a bit if your lines aren't. I'm right. sure they would do exactly what they needed to do. You bet, you bet. Yeah. So I don't think that line exists as much as it used to. Um, it's still there, but it's it's shadier. When I yeah, and I have had friends, you know, someone I grew up with, Angela Nemi, and she's got a long familial history in Cook Inlet and, and commercial fishing, and. She uh, she fished for years. She she got out of it, which I'm kind of a little sad about. But she always did really well. There's been a lot. Her mom Sue was a really really good female um, captain. There's um there's no reason. There's no reason. Totally now, now, do you live in Anchorage year round, or how does that work out? Because you fish out of Kenai. Yeah, I fish out of Kenai. I spend I probably spend four to five months on the peninsula um, usually. So somewhere around then, just because my family has a home set out there, I have friends in there. I, that's where I hunt. You know, I spend. I usually spend a long preseason, a long postseason there. We fish late because we love it, um, and then I spend time. You know, in Anchorage, I, I go other places. I'm lucky, mm-hmm. but yeah, Anchorage is. You know, from the from the business side, you know, of, of my life, Anchorage is um, kind of necessary for that, or it makes sense. So this new boat you bought, mm-hmm. changing the name. No, man. No. I like Ransom. That's all we are. Is a well, bunch I of, didn't know we're if we a were bunch going... of cowboys and pirates out there. We better hold someone ransom. I didn't know we were <laughs> if we were going with the whole family tradition it's gonna be named for mom or grandma or Um well or it's it's Chris and Mai's boat, so like you know, what are we gonna give it? One one grandma's name, one's mom's name? I don't know. Probably not. We he's got a boat. Yeah, Heather Michelle or whatever. Yeah. You know, like. No, we hadn't thought. We like. I, I like Ransom. I mean, it's a cool we'll, name. Maybe we'll rediscover that. Yeah, but that boat feels like for what we're doing. There's something particularly good. You about are that ransoming name. everything. I mean, you guys got a lot on the line here. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But you got to you got to risk it. That's that's what life's life's about, man. Risk versus reward. There. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean. And and the experience of it all, man. I mean, you can sit you can sit back and and count your coin and and feel comfortable, or you can go out and have experiences and live your life, man. That's what you know. So much of fishing is about, you know. And, and I'm not saying that to be foolish. Um, and I'm, you know, I, I would say that I'm I'm pretty thoughtful about you know what I, the choices that I make. You know, not as as wild as some fishermen for sure, but yeah. I mean, this is life. You better live it. What's your age now? 20. I'm, I just turned 30. 30. So in 15 more years, 
you'll have your first son like your father did. He was 45 when he had you. <laughs> or are you going to start earlier? I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll see how that goes. <laughs> I'm not big on planning. His girlfriend's listening right now going, what? What's the answer? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just trying to get you in trouble here. Baby. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're wrestling up all kinds of trouble. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I can only imagine. Mm-hmm. So anything else you want to talk about? I know that you like to... You're one of those big heartfelt guys. Yeah, I mean, I got all kinds of uh, kind of things I probably want to say. I don't know the limit of what you want to say, what you want to hear. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that. So I've got a lot of other things that I do. One of, one of the things is that I'm I'm a Alaska salmon fellow, and I, I take that um, I take that heart. That's really important to me. Explain I, that to me, because there's not very many, right? Yeah, it's. I don't know. I mean, it's supposed to be prestigious to some degree, but they chose me, so I'm kind of, kind of wondering about that. But yeah, that just threw it right yeah, out the window. Right. That's, a, that's a real wrench in it. But um, yeah, especially what what most well, most of the rest 12? of the world thinks of me. How many are there? I, there's, I think there's there's two cohorts of sixteen. Okay. All right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And and but, I mean, I guess what what the notion was through the humanities form was this, you know, kind of. Um, yeah, maybe I shouldn't say that. I mean, it's it, it's 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 pretty cool. It's a pretty cool social enterprise sort of thing. But um, the idea is bringing all these different people together who are touched by salmon. In Alaska, salmon is a big thing, and um, for me, it's just really important to pass on the message to protect the resource. You know, whether you're a guide, you're a sports fisherman, you're a dip netter, and I'm, I'm tied to all those. You're a subsistence user. I mean, you don't, you know. Uh, the native culture, you almost don't have to say it because it's built into their culture, like we're talking about, um, to be respectful of the resource and, and, and to take care of it. But, you know, no matter where you come from, we should all be able to get together around protecting um, the spawning habitat, the environment, and the resource. And whenever we notice that there is a an actor who is greedy or acting without the best interest of the resource, we should all be able to say that we don't condone that and really come together around making sure that salmon's around here for our kids um, and the, the multitude of generations so that we can all have this experience. The experience that I'm talking about does not exist without salmon. I mean, salmon is the lifeblood, and so we should respect that in every way, and we should try to honor that by making sure that, that we speak for the, for the fish that can't speak for themselves. Yeah. And how how does that picture look? How are you speaking for them? How are you? Well, I hope I just spoke for them right there. But, um, you know, we go to all kinds of different meetings and councils. And and, and for me, the most important thing is reaching across user groups. Like I said, um, you know, I've I've had a lot of personal relationships that are super closely connected with sports fishing. My business, I'm a plug at Alaska Salmon Fertilizer. We, We turn dip net waste fish into an organic fertilizer, completely organic process, and that's turning waste into in, growth. Use, you know, and we had to do that because we just saw the waste of salmon. It shouldn't be wasted. It's too precious of a resource. And then my ties with commercial fishing, um, I'm touched by all these things. We all are intimately associated. We're family. We're friends. Like, we got to get together. Like, you know, no, we should stop bad-mouthing each other, you know. I know people who go out and dip net. I know people who go out and sports fish. I know people who, ex- who uh, experience the resource in a, in a thousand different ways from the people who buy it in all over the world. Like well, we, don't, don't you experience it in every way? I mean, don't, don't yeah. you go out and throw a line in the water? Absolutely. I do sometimes. Yeah. I mean, Chris, Chris's family has a place on the river. I, you know, I've spent a bunch of time there. I mean, that's an incredible experience with salmon. It doesn't exist without salmon. So, you know, it's just another river. It's not the Kenai River without salmon. So, that's that's my big thing. Is like we all need to get together and, um, well, and I want to Kenai be Kings. Yeah, and you've heard that for years and years and years. The Kenai Kings. Right. We gotta we gotta protect them. Everyone's gotta do their part and try not to throw anyone else under the bus, man. That's takes a village. Yeah, it, it it takes a village. It takes leadership. It takes people putting ethics and morals. Um, ahead of of their own personal gain, because everyone can look for their personal gain and try to snatch and grab. But M- most of us are built that way. Most most of us are built to look in front of us and see what's to, to benefit us. Mm-hmm. And it, it takes a 
different kind of person to see everybody else's point of view first or at least on equal terms. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, mean, I think that, you know, it sounds cheesy, but I think that that's what comes with, you know, the notion of love, right? You mm-hmm. love the salmon, you love the people. You can you can take the time, uh, the energy to walk a mile or try to in someone else's footsteps. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's really what I preach. Um, Georgie does a lot of work in that realm, but there's, there's just, there's so much conflict. And I'm, I'm just, I would be really sad if we lost salmon in that. And we have in so many places and we are in Alaska like people that's another thing I got to dispel is this idea that Alaska is so perfect and pristine and untouched and the best management and all that there's truth to all that but the reality is is that it's not too perfect to lose salmon and we are seeing changes and we are seeing losses and um, the more real people get with that the quicker maybe we'll get to action Mm -hmm. so I almost always ask the question of how do you see young people getting involved and um, how, how should they get involved? For you, it's different. You were raised into it. Actually, you were made to be a part of it, yeah. which you're thankful for now. Yeah. And when your kid's born, you're going to make them be a part of it, which they may be thankful for later. I'm sure. But what will. about these young guys that are thinking about getting involved that, that don't have the same outlet that you do? Um, you, you, you were born into connections. Mm-hmm. What would you suggest? Man, I think there's been a lot of really, really good advice that people have already put out there on your podcast, and, and I would follow that. Some, there's some people who said they wouldn't do it, too, and, and their experience that might be true for. But as far as what I've experienced, I think you got to just, like I said, risk it, right? The life is happening right now. You see it, you want to go have an adventure, go have an adventure. You might not make money the first time. You might not make money a couple times, but this experience is is bigger than that. There's fishing. nothing like there's nothing like being up here, and and, uh, and being out on the water. You wonder why people watch stupid reality shows. <laughs> you well, wonder it's, it's because that that experience is special. You don't get that anywhere else. People are our our entire society is losing that, and it's still here in Alaska. It's still here. You can still go out there and make your way, and you can do it in fishing. Fishing's an opportunity for that and it's not just the fishing side I mean I've said it many times on on this podcast that I have never experienced sunsets and sunrises like in Alaska right there's something about not, not pollution in the air or whatever it is but the colors are just this incredible I've had the opportunity to be a lot of different places in the United States and, and some places in the world I've had a lot of opportunities to live work other places won't do it got to come back to Alaska if I can't have my at least my summer in Alaska which you know I, 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 I can't do it and I spend most all my year here so mm-hmm. and 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 to your point uh, about not just about the fishing there's a lot of routes into the fishing that aren't directly fishing like Chris his background he was he was on a slime line watch that man fillet a fish oh my like he can, he, we've got videos of him, you know, flaying fish in like five seconds or some outrageous amount. And don't quote me on it, but um, that was his path into it. He worked on a slime line, and he's not I, the only I, one. I started on the processing side. Yeah, I can't fillet a fish in five seconds. In fact, you probably don't want me to fillet your fish. <laughs> I mean, well, get, I mean, don't rush me, and you're gonna get a good product. Yep. But if I, you start putting me on a timer, I mean, you might as well just go sashimi. <laughs> Start sucking it off the bones because that's going to be the end product anyway. Yeah, my mom spent some time doing that. Man, she can fillet a fish. But uh, I, I just think, and and there are so many good people on the dock crews and in the processing plants and in management, and and, and so much of the management started as fishermen or, or or have a background that's more than just being a money man, you know. And that's why the experience is special too. Is there's so many good people in fishing, and that's why what you're doing is so important is like recording these stories because it's a different breed out here. I just do it for the beer. <laughs> I don't believe that at all. Not for a so, um, friends of Taylor's that are listening, mm-hmm. uh, I'm going to ask you to go to his podcast on iTunes, leave a review on it. Reviews are really important for any kind of a podcast. Okay. Uh, not enough of them happen, but then I also want you to send in some questions for him um, that he can he can then answer. You okay with that? Absolutely, man. For some reason, I trust you. I don't know, there's I something f- about you, man. <laughs> you hear that, guys? 
Um, so we'll, we'll give you the last word. That's heavy, man. Last word. Um, I mean, I, I feel like I, I feel like I said it, but I'll say it again is, is, um, you know, it's the ode to the salmon, man. Georgie's incredible poems, my incredible experience, my businesses, fishing, TV shows about fishing. None of it exists without the fish, man, without salmon. So um, if, you ever, if you ever come to my house, you'll see my dad's art. That's what we do. The fam, the, We joke the family crest is salmon. So let's all support it. Let's all do what we have to, what we can do to protect it and make sure that it's around, around for hopefully ever. And it, will, it could be around for eternity if we took care of it. It's a truly sustainable resource, and it's the best protein on planet Earth. So... I'll lead right into your finish. Eat, eat Alaska seafood, man, all yeah, day, every eat, day. Yeah, eat well, Alaska seafood. But my, I'm not going to give you the last word here because my family crest is three goats. Yeah? Yeah, legit. Yeah? Yeah. So uh, at any rate, uh, Taylor, thanks for joining us today. Thanks I for having, really, having me, Mark. Really, really like you sharing your story. thought I was going to get you to cry. Although you did a little bit when Georgie got done yeah, eating your pole, you got a you got a tear you got a tear out of me. Yeah, there's does. there's lots of, there's lots of other stories. I'll probably cry after the podcast. You can. <laughs> All right, guys, thanks for joining us again today. Don't forget to go to the iTunes and leave that review. It really does help us. I don't know how, but supposedly it does. Um, follow us on Instagram. Uh, Twitter's kind of dead for me now. I hate the bird. But uh, Facebook as well. Give us a like and share. Make sure you share Taylor's. Uh, <laughs> make sure you share his his, uh, his release. He'll be episode fifty one. It'll be coming out on uh, what's next Monday, uh, Monday the 29th. So uh, look for it, and we will see you next time. Thanks, Taylor. Thank you, Mark. Oh, and thanks, Georgie. <laughs> I think Georgie might be fifty two. Might could be on a roll here, guys. Who knows? <laughs> we'll see you. Thanks for listening to Galley Stories. We hope you like what the net brought in. Please leave us a review on iTunes. Whether you like it or not, we're not fishing for compliments. Look us up on Facebook and Twitter, too. And reach out to us at galleystories at gmail.com.